out of the sky My dreams went crashing When you said goodbye Who'd think that after all I've been to you That you and I would be through Welcome to the H.P. Lovecraft Book Club. So in this episode, we'll be completing our look at uh, Lovecraft's hazel-heeled ghostwriting slash revisions with um, uh, just, a, I guess, a brief examination at the horror in the burying ground. Um, now, all of, I think all of the heeled revisions are good and worth reading. I think they all uh, do things that are a little bit different than than maybe your standard Lovecraft stories. You have like things from the villain's point of view in The Winged Death. And um, uh, you got something that's really uh, kind of over the top in the, muse- the, the horror in the museum. You got the horror in the burying ground, which is kind of more of a, a comedy piece, a little akin to, to Reanimator um, in a way. Uh, with a very f- lot of and in all, the, and then you have uh, in out of the eons a, a a much more kind of academic historical study that that opens up the windows into into the deep past. So they all do really good things. Uh, the horror in the burying ground. What I like about this story is it really embraces the idea of vernacular uh, storytelling. And uh, it's all told, basically the whole story is told to us through various narrators, um, you know, that basically are hanging around a, a you know, a, a store in a small town. It, it, it's kind of like a early Stephen King story in a way, where, uh, you know, you'd have a bunch of old Mainites, you know, sitting around smoking and talking about, you know, something that went on, um, you know, that that's kind of what's striking about this and we've seen again and again you know the the just the working class people the common people knowing something about a community uh knowing something about a house knowing something about uh some ancient cult or ritual that's taking place they're they're in the know in a way just because they're closer to the earth in a way at least in lovecraft's mind they are sometimes they're victims of of the the horrors Sometimes they're perpetuators of the horrors, but they're always conduits of of knowledge in a way. And here you see the story actually being told to us through this, through these uh, these people. And it's not the only time it's been done in in Lovecraft's work, but it's not that common actually. We're much more likely to get like an academic voice, something more like out of the eons, where we have a museum curator kind of coming to grips with the supernatural these people seem much more willing to sort of embrace the weird and the supernatural just because it's kind of coming out of their daily lives in a way so that's what i really like about the horror in the burying ground is the, is the narrative style um but one thing that I, all the healed revisions ghost writings really they're all pretty much ghost written have in common is that they're all they're all they're all narratively kind of distinctive not that again not to get that are unique like uh out of the eons maybe is a like call cthulhu in the way it tries to tell its story 
Um, but they all use nested narratives or different narrators or points of view in interesting ways. So I really think all five of these stories should be studied if you're a Lovecraft reader, not at least not neglected. Um, so seek them out if you um, are able. They're easy to find. They're all I think they're all public domain. All right, so The Horde in the Burying Ground is actually the shortest of the Hazel Hill revisions. It's also the last. It was written in 1933, sometime after uh, Out of the Eons, but it was not published until after Lovecraft died in May of uh, May 1937 issue of Weird Tales. Um, so in the story, uh, again, it's not very long, but our, we have a handful of main characters. Basically, we've got Sophie Sprague, we got her brother Tom Sprague, who's an alcoholic. We have um, Henry Thorndike, who's the local embalmer, but he also like runs a farm because there's not that many people to embalm. It's a small town, so he kind of works two jobs. And he's kind of a weird mad scientist type who's engaged in different experiments. And then we have Mad Johnny, who uh, kind of is a servant of Henry Thorndike and helps him out with his embalming. And he's in the know about something weird. Uh, basically, and then you have the narrators. Uh, so we got a guy named, uh, what's his, let me, I wrote these down here. We got Fred Peck tells part of the story. And the rest of the story is told by this guy, uh, uh, Calvin Wheeler. So they're basically giving us the story, basically what they heard or what they saw through various events. And this fragmentary, each only saw, knows part of the story. And they concur on certain things. They might disagree on a few things. They, they fill in each other's holes. And it's it's a really a fun way of putting together the story, um, not just using text, as in The Call of Cthulhu, but using, you know, the, uh, you know, the kind of narration people would give just sitting around smoking and sharing stories of, with, with each other in a, in a small, creepy town. Um, now, the town we're in is called Stillwater. It's, it's a very isolated town. Um, I'm not sure where it is. I, I guess it's probably New England or something, but, um, you know, we're told once old Yankees talk this way, but I don't think we have a precise geography for it, but um, it's kind of a, it's a town that maybe been a little bit prosperous before, at least for farming, but it's been decaying. Quote, the soil's played out and most of the people have drifted to towns across the distant river or to cities beyond the distant hills. The steeple of the old white church has fallen down and half of the 20 odd straggling houses are empty and in various stages of decay. Normal life is found only around Peck's general store and the filling station. And it's here that the curious shop now and then to ask about the shuttered house and the idiot who mutters to the dead. Now, the idiot who mutters to the dead is, is this crazy Johnny who used to help. Henry Thorndike, and he talks to, he basically talks to, to two bodies, I guess. Uh, he talks to Tom Sprague and Henry Thorndike, um, and anyways, that's the kind of the setup for the story, and then we get the different narrations uh, that fill in the details, and um, without getting, I guess, too much into it. Um, basically, Henry Thorndike and Tom Sprague had a rivalry. Uh, his, his sister's connected to this rivalry in a way. Sophia Sprague, who ends up being the one who kind of experiences the horror most directly, except for maybe uh, Mad Johnny, Crazy Johnny. Uh, he, he kind of experiences it directly, too. Um, but uh, Tom Sprague is a local drunk, uh, another kind of uh, cliche character from this type of setting. And 
after he dies, Thorndike uh, proceeds to embalm him. And essentially, this is a mad scientist type of experiment on poor, poor uh, Tom. And it's not entirely clear if Thorndike didn't have some role to play in his death. Uh, but him being a drunk, it just sort of got blamed on his alcoholism. Um, quote, drunks like that were always extremely doubtful subjects in any extra delay with merely rural facilities would entail consequences visual and otherwise hardly acceptable to the deceased loving mourners. End quote. So this is after he dies, Thorndike's essential argument for why he's got to embalm Tom right away. Um, now, I don't know how common, certainly the, the technology of embalming has been around since the 19th century. I'm not sure how often it was apply, uh, applied to, to funerals in the early 20th century in towns like this. Uh, it's kind of suggested that at times people would just be buried, you know, the next day or a couple days later and they wouldn't be embalmed. But Thorndike insists on embalming him, basically bragging about how good he is at it. And also he, as we know, uh, through Crazy Johnny's rantings, that he's actually able to to perform some kind of, uh, he's basically got some kind of technology he's working on. Now, essentially what we have here is something like, uh, I guess, the reanimator, yeah, but it's a very different type. In the reanimator, you had dead bodies that would be, you know, something would be injected into them, and then they would be like the walking dead. Um, in this case, it's more... Like, it seems to take people who are somewhat alive, who are still alive but dying and sick, and maintain their life but in a state of constant, of, of appearing dead. So that's what this embalming fluid seems to do, that thing that Thorndike develops and is experimenting on. It keeps people alive but in a state of permanent death. In this sense, he must have got this idea when writing Out of the Eons. Because in Out of the Eons, you have this same idea but it's brought to people through contact with this this Yugothian god. Uh, in this, it's just a, a mad scientist technology that does it, but it has the same effect. It keeps you alive in a state of, of, of death. So basically, it's a buried alive story. But kind of like what we had in, in The Vault, which is also sort of a buried alive story set in a burying ground set with uh, people who handle corpses. But uh, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit more horrific here because you have someone who's going to be essentially alive forever. Uh, and this allows them to be kind of function as, as ghosts or haunts and allows Johnny. To, that's why Johnny's talking to the graves, uh, Mad Johnny, because he knows they're still sort of alive underneath that embalming fluid. Uh, due to that embalming fluid under the ground, they're still alive. And he's able to, you know, try to kind of communicate with them. But from the outside, he just appears to be a madman. Now, much of the story, about a good third of the story, uh, more, maybe more, the, almost the whole second half of the story, is set in, in a pair of funerals. So the first funeral we get is the funeral for Thomas, Tom Sprague, uh, who, two days after his death, um, and there was kind of, two day, for two days, there was kind of a lack of decay in the body, which even, uh, which suggests the embalming, I guess, worked. Um, but the weird thing is like the doctor keeps, or it's not the doctor, the embalmer keeps like injecting more of the fluid into him during the, during the funeral. And then we get a wonderfully kind of comedic descriptions of the funeral. There's, there's kind of a, a really silliness and ridiculousness to it, which would make this really fun, I think, to film because the funeral is presented in uh, kind of an over the top way with, 
very cliche uh, funeral orations by the by the pastor to have the weird organ music and then the thing is we get a you know thorndike dies at the end of the funeral and immediately after we get a repeat of the whole thing uh, and even in a short story we have the repetition of two funerals which is is a lot of fun because both are presented as as kind of over the top lovecraft writes and now with what seems to the outsider an acme of gruesome unconscious comedy the whole funeral mummery of the afternoon was listlessly repeated Again, the organ wheezed, and again, the organ screeched and scraped. Again, the droning incantation arose, and again, the mor- morbidly curious spectators filled past a macabre object, this time a dual array of mortuary repose. Some of the most sensitive people shivered at the whole proceeding, and again, Stephen Barber felt the underlying note of eldritch horror and demon- d- d- demonic abnormality. God, how lifelike both the corpses were, and how in earnest poor Thorndike had been about not wanting to be judged dead and how he hated tom sprague and what could he do in the face of common sense a dead man was a dead man on and on now so this are it's on the same day right the morning you have tom's funeral in the afternoon you end up with um uh thorndyke's funeral and both have been injected now with the embalming fluid which means both are going to be kind of in the state of 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 the living dead of of a living death of sort. Now we get this story from, uh, I guess Calvin Wheeler's tale, but he's spends most of it basically repeating what Johnny Dow, crazy Johnny says. And he's basically the one who kind of talks about this strange embalming fluid that allows people to be resurrected and how Thorndike was experimenting on dogs and other animals. Um, quote, well, sir, the long and short of it is that the corpse sat up and grabbed a hold of Thorndike's syringe and that it got stuck in Henry himself. He gave him a neat dose of his own embalming fluid, as you wish to see. That got Henry pretty scared, though he yanked the point down and managed to get the body down again and shot full of the fluid. End quote. So at some point earlier in his, in his experiments, he was injected with the embalming fluid, which I guess is still active in him. That's why when he dies, he's also going to be in this state. Um, so wild stuff. It's a really kind of almost a comedic uh, uh, setting here. And then the end of the story after the two funerals is just these two are buried They're in the burying ground. So the horror in the burying ground is these living dead who have been buried essentially alive. Um, and the haunting that takes place is somewhat crazy Johnny, who is warning Sophia and kind of hanging around the, the burying ground and talking to the dead. And kind of her being haunted herself by I guess the voices of it at least crazy Johnny suggests she will be haunted directly by the voices of the of the dead quote you see it was at two o'clock in the morning that Sophie heard the sounds and killed over twice that first night by the burying Steve and me and Matilde and Emily heard the second lot faint as it was just like I tell you now and I'm telling you again how it must have been crazy Johnny over to the burying ground let Yotham Blake claim what he will. Yotham Blake is the constable. There ain't no telling the sound of the man's voice so far off, and with our heads full of nonsense, it ain't no wonder we thought it was two voices, and voices that ain't that hadn't ought to be speaking at all. Unquote. So basically, the dead are speaking to Sophia. Um, and another interesting thing about the story, and there's not that much more to say about it, but the other interesting thing here is the story sort of it just peters off suggesting there's more to tell and the story continues but you'd almost have to like find another interlocutor to bring out right you're it's almost like you'd be hanging around peck's uh gas station 
you know, hearing a bit from Peck, hearing a bit from Wheeler, and then maybe you hear a bit more from someone else. The final line of the story is, hey, you, what's taking you off in such a hurry? Maybe there's more I could tell you if I had a mind, which, again, suggesting there's, there's more to the story, more to the horror, more to the vernacular tradition that's developed. It's uh, Maybe it's a cop-out to stop the story here, but it, it works just fine it, as it is um, because that's how these oral traditions go. They, they People build on them. They don't ever necessarily stop. They're retold. They're retold in new ways. Um, there's always details that get left out that someone else knows. And I think Lovecraft here really embraces this idea of, uh, of, uh, of an ongoing, continuous story. And I don't think of another story where he's quite done this. He's done the, you know, the guy writing to his moment of his death or to insanity. Um, but, you know, having such an open door here to that there's more to the story, it's, 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 a, it's a lot of fun. Even though we don't need to know that much more about the horror in the burying ground, a curious visitor or tourist might be able to coax a little bit more information out of these, these old men. Um, it really makes me think in many ways like a Stephen King story because Stephen King would do this all the time where old people would be sitting around someplace telling stories, knowing something. You, know, you have that in Pet Cemetery with the uh, Judd Crandall character who knows things. He's the oldest man in the community and he knows the history of the town, the unofficial history. You have a lot of that in It. You have it uh, in like Dark Matter. In fact, the setting here is very similar to Dark Matter. You know, old men talking around a... a Oh, gray matter. Sorry, not dark matter. Gray matter. You have people talking around a gas station. Um, but he does that a lot. And there's this idea, I guess, in through a lot of King's novels that the old sort of stand watch. I think that actually comes from Pet Cemetery, where the main character says, thinking about Judd Crandall staying, staying up at night, saying the old stand watch. Uh, you sort of have that here with these old-timers uh, carrying on the story. Obviously, this comes first. So if there's an influence, it's that way, not the, uh, not, not the other. But anyways, uh, good story. It's, it's probably the least, least uh, serious of the healed revisions, but it's certainly not the worst. I think the first two, Man in Stone and Winged Death, are probably the weakest. The other, th the other three are all, I think, fairly strong and interesting. Um, but it's not, it doesn't have that, like the gravitas of out of the eons or even the horror in the museum, which feel much more like straight up Lovecraft stories. This one doesn't, but you can tell that Lovecraftian ideas are here, especially you got kind of a, a, a new twist on the reanimator and you have a reflection on, the, uh, on how oral traditions sort of carry on knowledge which we always are adjacent to, but not as quite into, right? We often hear, oh, we, you know, the character talked to the local villagers and found out something. We don't actually get their voice. And here we get their voice, which is, which a, lot, which is uh, a lot of fun. I guess it's kind of like Innsmouth. In Innsmouth, you get that nar long narration by the local people. So it's, it's not that it never appeared in other works, but it's definitely a, a, a good example of it. So, um, yeah, I, I like this story, Horror in the Burying Ground. But I don't think there's that much more to say. It's pretty straightforward. Um, kind of a mad scientist story set in a small town 
uh, where somehow people are being able to be kept alive in a in a horrific state of of, of the living of, of sort of a living dead, uh, but not a walking dead, but a, but a, a even worse situation it seems. Buried alive. Um, so, anyways, that's it um, for Hazel Healed. Wow, um, we're coming to the you know we're we're moving our way along in the in the these final revisions. So. Next episode, I'll begin looking at the Dwayne W. Rimmel revisions, and I think there's three of them, and I'll cover it in two episodes because we have like one full-length tale, the hill, the tree and the hill, and then we have two kind of shorter stories. Well, Sorcery of Alfar is only like two pages, and then we have the Disinterment, which is uh. Both. That's actually the longest of the three, come to think of it. So maybe we'll look at Sorcery of Alfar and the Tree on the Hill next. And then um, do the Disinterment as a standalone episode. So two episodes, we'll look at the Dwayne W. Rimmel revisions. These are much more revisions, um, where Lovecraft gave notes and suggestions to Rimmel. But these are like at the heart Rimmel stories. Um, so it's we're not going to approach these quite as... Um, as we did the last five, which were more or less ghost-written. Um, now, Rimmel is, is a very pulpy writer, um, from the sound of it. Not primarily known for horror fiction, but he did write these um, three tales with Lovecraft's help. So, um, I'm looking forward to it. Um, kind of a different thing. So, two episodes on Rimmel. Um, that's coming up next. So, read those three tales if you're... Um, if you want. He was a young man when he started working with Lovecraft on these stories, too. Um, and that'll be true of the author will look after that with Barlow, who was even younger when he started collaborating with Lovecraft. So anyways, that's it for now. Uh, let me know what you think of The Horror in the Burying Ground, and I'll see you next time. Thanks. Gee, it breaks my heart to see you day after day Turning away as much as to say you've never known me, stranger. After sharing all your 